Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Wow, thank you. Beautiful. It's helping me envision the future Graceland worship album. You just got caught on that album. Now you're stuck. Our, a lot of our writers have been writing and doing some co-writes, and that's just a beautiful song. Thank you guys for sharing that. By the way, they're going to be uh, playing and leading along with Andy again next Sunday as part of the worship team. And uh, we also have our very own Oscar Barajas, if you don't know him yet. He, he's an amazing young man. He's actually right above us right now teaching our youth uh, right up in that room. Uh, last Sunday, he taught our elementary kids' ministry called Studio G in two weeks. He will be teaching our preschoolers, and next Sunday, he's preaching both sermons for our, for our Sunday morning service. So in one month, Oscar is sharing with every facet of the life of our church. He's going to be sharing uh, a part of the, a message from the Lessons of the Life of Peter next Sunday, and it's going to be a phenomenal Sunday. Come and support. I really believe in being a part of raising up preachers and voices in our own house uh, that God has anointed and is using to teach his word. So that's going to be next Sunday. My parents are here this morning. I want to honor them. You can give them a hand. Charles and Don Kolar, can you wave? Stand, stand and show everybody your beautiful faces. I'm my mom. No, I'm serious. Stand. Come on. Say hi. There, give them a hand now, my mom and dad, Charles and Don. Now, for the people online, can you come stand right here? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I honor my mom and dad, uh, both ministers. Uh, I grew up in uh, pastor's home. Also, my dad was a Navy chaplain and a marriage and family therapist, so I was a very confused child with all those different... I'm just kidding. Um, thank you guys for being here and supporting me uh, the many years. In today's sermon, I will probably say many things that I learned from my dad, so all the credit goes right there. I did serve with them for seven years of my life in my young 20s on staff at a church that they were leading in Pennsylvania and absolutely loved it. And I was kind of getting my feet under me in ministry. And I was a music pastor. I was a young adult pastor. For a time, I was a youth pastor. I was a missions director. You know, when you are that stage in life on a church staff, you are the catch-all for anything. Does anyone feel my pain? That's what happens. It was truly a joy. And one of the things I did uh, for, I believe, the first time in that season of ministry was uh, visiting people in prison uh, as a pastor. And there was one gentleman who showed up at our church once there. I can't remember his name. He didn't get very involved, and it wasn't a very long season. But the Poconos in Pennsylvania is two hours outside of New York City. And so there's a lot of people that work in New York City that live out in the Poconos. Or there's a lot of people that live and work in the city that come to the Poconos a lot to retreat and rest. And so there's a lot of crossover at my parents' church um, with New York City. And this guy had a tough life in New York City. Uh, if I'm remembering right, he was homeless for a while. He got into all kinds of trouble on the streets. He was in trouble with the law. He was addicted to all kinds of things. And I won't even say it all because um, it was pretty intense. But I ended up, as a guy in my young 20s, going and doing a prison visit with this guy. I don't even remember what prison it was there in the Poconos, but it really marked me as an experience because I spent a lot longer with him than I thought I would. And I really got a glimpse into his heart and mind, and he was a very broken, struggling man. I wrote down some of the descriptions uh, from that memory. Prison bars, of course, no windows, so no outside light, just fluorescent light, cold, shadowy, stale, and I felt his pain, his regret, his fear, and even a sense of hopelessness, and he had to walk out 
this term. I don't even fully remember what happened in his story, uh, but I remember when I left that meeting with him, freedom never felt so free even to me after spending a couple hours with him. It was like the sky looked more blue and the trees looked more green and the air felt freer because I had gotten a deeper glimpse than I ever had at what it would be to literally be in physical prison. He was also though in mental prison. He was kind of in spiritual prison. He was all bound up on the inside. And I wanna share a message today about being freed from prison. And we're of course not as much talking about literal prison, but what it is when we every day feel like we're living in a prison and we feel stuck or trapped. Some of us get captive to a way of destructive thinking for years. Alcohol, cigarettes, drugs, pornography, sometimes an addiction has trapped you. You may be trapped in a relationship that's toxic that God has repeatedly tried to help you get out of, but you feel stuck. Depression, fear, anxiety, grief, sometimes financial issues feel like a prison. Self-doubt, guilt, and shame of the past. And when you're in these prisons, sometimes you would do anything to get out of prison because we long for freedom. And the good news today is that I believe our God is a God who sets us free. And even for those of us that have been walking with the Lord for a while, he calls us to greater depths of freedom. And let's just start by getting it into our hearts and minds. God desires that we be free. And the title today is Freed from Prison. Here's some context. The early church in the book of Acts started strong. At the conclusion of Peter's first sermon, 3,000 people were saved. The church grew rapidly and had great favor. But then the religious establishment of the day decided something had to be done to slow down the growth of this new radical group, and they began to persecute the followers of Jesus. It was a difficult time for the followers of Jesus. In fact, Stephen was stoned to death and James was put to death by the sword by King Herod. The believers were scattered by the persecution and no longer together. It wasn't safe to meet in the open and the pressure was great. And that's where we pick up in Acts 12, verse one. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword And when he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And after arresting Peter, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. (laughs) So Herod, at this point, had already seen believers freed from prison at times. And this time he was ensuring there's no way Peter is going to escape. So he put 16 guards on him. So Peter, this young first preacher of the early church was trapped in a prison with no hope of getting out. Reading on, Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. And note that after the Passover, because we're going to look at the timing here in a minute. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. So the church did not try to storm the gates of the prison. They prayed for Peter's safety and his freedom. So Peter had prayer support from his church family. Number one today, prayer matters, so ask for prayer. I have seen it so often where we as fathers of Christ sometimes just don't want to bother people with our problems, so we decide to go it alone and isolate and not even tell anybody about what's going on in us or in our life. I actually developed three stages where I see people do this. One, those who never ask. 
even to the point that you avoid church even more when you're hurting. It's like you're, you're straying and running from what you need the most just because you think it's gonna be a bother or an annoyance to someone. And let me encourage you, don't stay in that category. Number two, people that have asked for prayer or help maybe once, but then maybe it didn't meet their expectations, so they just kind of shut off from that, and they're like, I'm not asking anymore. I don't wanna be annoying. I don't wanna be let down. Number three, and this is kind of the category I find myself in, you've asked several times for help and prayer. In fact, maybe you've even made it a habit, but now you really feel like you're getting annoying <laughs> because you're like, I should have it all together by now. How, how long am I gonna keep having to ask for help and asking for prayer? And I just wanna encourage you, prayer matters, so never stop asking for prayer, ever. We all need help, so never stop asking for help. And I will tell you, this church family will love you. This church family will rally around you and pray for you, hug you, and cry with you. We will believe with you for God to do a miracle in your life, no matter how impossible the situation is. This church family will not judge you. They will sit with you right in the reality of your life. But guess what? That can't happen if you don't ask for help. That can't happen if you don't ask for prayer. I got a call from Dale Collins on Friday. I, I meant to ask your guys' permission if you're watching online. Hopefully you don't mind that I'm sharing this. I also share it as a prayer request. Dale, one of our beloved uh, church members and his wife, Suzanne, and Dale called me and he, he said, we're at the ER, me and Suzanne. I just rushed her over here. She's having trouble breathing. She's in severe pain. Uh, we don't, we're not sure what to do. Will you pray for us? And um, of course, I said yes, and I wanted to find out a little bit more what was going on. It turned out she had choked on some food. They tried, uh, you know, the Heimlich maneuver. Nothing was working. They got to the ER, and that's a panicky situation when you can't find your breath. And Dale was handling it very calmly. He's a very uh, put-together, uh, regal man, really. And then I said, can I tell our prayer team, we have Rob Rates in our church family who's watching online, oversees our prayer team and our pastoral care team, and he makes his cell number available. I failed to get it for this sermon, but if you ever have a prayer request of any sort, email us at hello at gracelandchurch.com. We will get that prayer request right to Rob, and immediately a text will go out to, it's 20 or 25 uh, just prayer warriors that immediately start praying for that need. And so I asked him, can we send it to the prayer team? He said, yes, of course. And then I said, can I pray for you now on the phone? And he said, yes, I'll put you on speaker so Suzanne can hear you too there in the emergency room. And I just started to pray by faith with him in a desperate moment. And it's important that we understand the theology, right, of what is happening when we pray. It's not Nathan or Pastor Nathan praying and trying to get something to happen. It's just a son of God or a daughter of God calling on the name of Jesus, the name that holds all authority in the heavens and the earth to show up miraculously in someone's life. That's why we can pray with confidence, not because I have something special or you have something special, because we are praying in his name. And so I prayed with them and we immediately just sensed power of God. And I could tell there in the emergency room, he was overwhelmed by the peace and presence of God. I could hear him on the phone. And God, it, nothing changed in the circumstance right there, but it's the reminder, God is with us. And thankfully, she was okay. She had to stay overnight, but she got to come home yesterday. And please do pray for Suzanne because there's some things that happen as a result of that situation that we want to see uh, worked out in her body. But I never would have known to pray 
or to have our whole entire prayer team to pray if Dale wouldn't have called me. It's not always easy to just call and pour out your heart about something in a difficult situation. But let me encourage you. Prayer matters, so ask for prayer. You will never bother me with a prayer request. You will never bother anyone in this church with a prayer request. We will never be annoyed at your struggle. We will always gather around you in prayer and support. That is the beauty of the church. And the church was earnestly praying for Peter while he was wrongly imprisoned. Reading on in verse six. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. So remember this context. Peter is chained up. He's been there for days at this time. His trial is the next day, which likely will be death. Other Christian leaders like him were getting killed. There's uncertainty, there's fear, there's seeming hopelessness. Death is almost certain. And what is Peter doing? Sleeping while being chained up. And this is before Ambien. This is before nice little over-the-counter sleeping pills. This is before NyQuil. This is before all the methods. I'm not saying all those things are bad, but Peter doesn't have it, especially not in prison. I think Peter was able to sleep and have peace in the face of death because he knew that what God had done before, God could do again. Peter had been freed from prison before by God earlier in the book of Acts. And the situation was not changed yet, yet Peter knew that God was in control and was greater than his problem. So even even though there's no natural solution, Peter chose to rest in the peace of God. Number two, when you feel trapped with no way out, accept the peace of God. I think we can accept his peace now. And there's something incredible about accepting that before we see the miracle before we see the deliverance, while we're still chained, while we're suffering, while we're hurting. God, Scripture says that God will give peace that transcends understanding, passes all understanding. In other words, there's no reason for peace in the world I'm seeing or in my own life, yet this gift from God. He will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is stayed on him. Your problem and my problem is not a new problem to God. And that's part of the reason we can have peace. I think the enemy will try to trick us into thinking that this problem is somehow new or it's deeper with us. Nope, been there, done that. God can deliver and has delivered anyone from anything. I'm so thankful for the church and we as a church are connected to a lot of other churches. I really value uh, relationships with other ministers and churches and missions partners around the country. We are a part of a large family of churches. And of course, theologically, we're just, we're just one little local congregation in the church of Jesus Christ around the world. And it's the kingdom of God. We're one little sliver of what God is doing. And it beautifully matters here, but it's a good realization to say, wow, we are a part of something huge. And then God graciously has given us a wonderful family of churches to live in close relationship with. I wrote a few of the states and areas down. We have really close churches that we partner with in Pennsylvania, uh, my parents and other churches in Pennsylvania, California, Arkansas, Tennessee, New York, Florida, Oklahoma, Virginia, Texas, Alaska, East Africa, the Middle East, other places around the world. And recently, one of the members of one of our churches that's in this family by the name of Olita Kimbra, she lost her husband, Steve, he died. And one of the pastors at this church had a conversation with her after the fact and then sent us this email. 
She was so troubled yesterday evening worrying about Steve being all alone in the hospital and suffering as he was. This is before her husband died and she couldn't be there because of COVID regulations. She began to pray for Steve when suddenly the Holy Spirit took over and she began to pray in the Spirit for 10 to 15 minutes. When she finished praying, she felt an extraordinary peace and knew that Steve was in God's hands. She crawled right into bed and went to sleep. About an hour or so later is when her daughter, Terry, called to let her know that Steve had passed. She said, I didn't get upset or anything. I just thanked God for taking Steve to be with him. Then I hung up the phone and went right back to sleep. She knows there is no way she would have been able to sleep through the night except for the help of the Holy Spirit. And that, of course, is not to minimize the death of her husband, Steve, But we have to remember that we are followers of Jesus and to live is Christ and to die is gain. We don't live in fear of death and we have a guaranteed future in the new heavens and new earth with the living God, with new bodies where he makes all things new and being restored with the people that we've lost. So God gave her a supernatural peace because she had the knowledge from her time praying that there was nothing to fear. Peace is the result of knowledge knowing who God is, knowing what the outcome of life is going to be. It's kind of like if you have a problem with your car, if you take your car to a mechanic that you don't necessarily trust, what do you not have? Peace. Because you don't know that mechanic and you're worried they might not diagnose the problem right and they might even worse try to rip you off and not get it done anyway. So you don't have a lot of peace. But when you have a trusted mechanic whom you know, whom you have a track record with, even when your car has a problem, what do you have? Peace. And I just believe it's like that with the Lord. Peace can be the result of our knowledge of who God is and that he's with us. And then back to Peter's story, it's really interesting to look at the timing of how long he was in prison because the first time Peter was in prison, Acts 5 tells the story and he was released quickly by an angel that came and set him and his friends free. So I imagine... Peter probably had a lot of peace at first because he's like, I've been arrested before. I can imagine him walking into the prison, chained up and being like, guards, you're gonna feel silly in the morning after the angel comes and releases me. He had a lot of swagger in his step that first night because God showed up the first time. But we know from the telling of the story and how long these feasts are that he was in there for at least six or seven days. So I kind of imagine it like this. Maybe Peter stayed awake the first night waiting to see the angel, but nothing happened. Day two, Peter thought, hmm, well, it hasn't technically been 24 hours. God will come through. Day three, God must be teaching me something, but I think tonight's the night. Day four, maybe a little kid is sick or someone is in worse shape than me that has God's attention. I need to be patient. Day five, the soldiers began mocking him. Hey, Peter, didn't you say you'd be free by now? Day six, did God forget me? What did I do wrong? I must need to pray harder, have more faith, quote more scripture, or sing different songs. And sometimes we get to the place where we wonder, God, hello, when are you going to do something here? And it leads to this third principle that we must learn to trust God's timing. In the same way that we trust him with our future, with our eternity, with even our death, with all of our loved ones, with everything in our life, We also have to learn to trust his timing because he is, after all, the sovereign one. I think of him as the master chess player. He's so many moves ahead 
that it would blow our minds to even imagine how many things he's doing in our world and in our life that affect the timing, even the timing parts of our life that we are frustrated with. So it's wasted energy to get frustrated with the timing of God in our life. It's beautifully spent energy to realize let's lean into and trust that timing because as we rest in his peace, like Peter ultimately chose to do as he was sleeping, a miracle can happen suddenly, just like it did in verse 7. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Peter got slapped by an angel. We had the show Touched by an Angel. Do you remember that? I want to see the show Slapped by an Angel. And I kind of like the idea of getting slapped by an angel someday, but apparently you have to be in prison awaiting death for that to happen, so we'll see. But I just, I mean, it says struck. The angel struck him on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. When the Lord appears, everything changes. Light begins to shine in dark places. Chains fall off. People are set free. And the Lord can appear in a moment. I've been having more pastoral counseling meetings than usual recently. Because if you haven't realized this, people are going through a lot right now. There's a lot of unrest a lot of pain, a lot of fear. And I've just had, I want to say hundreds, I don't know if it's been hundreds, many dozens of pastoral counseling meetings, more than I usually have. And a lot of times I'm sitting there listening to someone thinking, I have no idea what to say. This is a horribly difficult situation. This is painful. This seems impossible. And I'll start praying while I'm listening to someone, Lord, Uh, uh, kind of like that. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. And I'm telling you, almost like clockwork, especially in these last few months, it's like at some point in the meeting, the Lord shows up. And of course, theologically, we know he's always there. He's present. But there's something about his manifest presence when he just makes himself known. I think about this moment like that. The angel shows up, smacks Peter, Chains fall off. When God shows up in meetings like that and in counseling or just in life or in a service or any time when we're driving, whatever it is, everything changes. Chains can fall off in a moment because a word from God that we know is from him, what does it do? It puts us at peace. It puts us at rest. It has power on it. I'm so thankful for how God keeps showing up. Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals, Peter. And now this is almost funny because as you'll see in a moment, the angel appeared to Peter in a cell, broke the chains, blinded the eyes of 16 soldiers, opened the iron gate to the city without even touching it, and then disappeared. Surely, if the angel could do all that, you'd think that the angel could make Peter's clothes and shoes appear on his body. Instead, the angel chooses to say, I'm going to do all this, Peter. Now get dressed. It's really interesting because obviously God doesn't need our help, but almost always God's miraculous intervention includes your participation. All through the scripture, we've got to get in this posture of being willing to do our part and be obedient. And sometimes it makes no sense. Like Peter easily could have been like, you're going to do all that. And then I'm still like, I got, it's just, sometimes people pray for financial deliverance 
but they have cable TV, five movie channels, three cell phones, and they don't tithe or live generously. Sometimes we want promotions at work, but we're late and we take extra vacation days. Sometimes we pray for our marriage to be restored, but we refuse counseling. Sometimes we pray for unity, but we share divisive posts on social media. Sometimes we pray for our families to be saved, but then we have a rotten attitude at home. People pray for wisdom, but never study. People pray for deliverance from habits, but don't quit and refuse to go to celebrate recovery because I'm not like those people. People pray for God's guidance and then go on in their own direction. People pray for God's will, but don't stick around long enough to listen to him. People pray for a word from God, but never open the word of God. Number four, be willing to participate in the miracle. I love the response in verse eight of what it says about Peter. The angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. That's like one of the great goals for my life right now. I just want it to be written down, and Nathan did so. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, can we just be honest, we don't know what to do. We don't know all the right decisions to make. And I'm saying we, I mean me and you. We don't have a clue. We'll try. We'll try to have wisdom. We'll call out to God. But ultimately, God is saying, I am the one who cares about your freedom. I will guide your steps, and he'll give us a way to walk in. One of the things with me right now, it's like a confession just to say this, but the one fruit of the Holy Spirit called gentleness, you remember that one? Like God actually calls us to live with the fruit of gentleness. And that's part of the fruit of being filled with the Holy Spirit and walking in the way of Jesus, gentleness. And I feel God always pressing on me, especially when it comes to moments that frustrate me, whether it's with my kids, whether it's with my wife, whether it's with something in the church world, whether it's some decision that is pressing on me, whether it's unfair situation. You know how God has called me to respond with a spirit of gentleness? You know how hard that is? Really hard. You ever tried it? To just always live with a spirit of gentleness? Because my parents are here. They can tell you about the temper I had as a little kid. And you might think you've got that temper beat, but it lies dormant in there somewhere. It's like a dragon waiting. And once, once it awakes, that dragon can come alive. And you got to remember, wait, for me to obey God, for, for it to be said of me, Nathan did so, is for me to repeatedly say, Lord, give me a spirit of gentleness. Give me a spirit of gentleness in this moment with this situation. May it be said, and Charles did so, my dad, and Travis did so back on the booth. May it be said, and Victor did so. I laugh when I say that about Victor. He's always causing trouble. <laughs> be willing to participate in the miracle. That was a joke about Victor. He's an amazing, godly man after God's heart. <laughs> then the angel said, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself. Something about living obediently, doors will fly open before you even get there. I'd be willing to bet that there are many times God knew I was going to run straight into a closed iron door but by God's grace and just saying yes to him, he busts it open wide before I even got there. 
Sometimes I barely survive the ones that I feel like I run right into. I'm not even aware of all the ones that he burst open before me. And I would say the same is true for you too. We're talking about the God who wants us to be free. He deals in the supernatural. He deals in the miraculous. By his word, he created all things, including you. So by his word, he does whatever he wants. So when we obey him, doors burst open in front of us. You're not amening loud enough for how good I'm preaching right now. Thank you. It's not about me, glory to God. Victor just said, pride goes before the fall. Thank you, Victor. Spirit of gentleness for Victor, I pray. I love that line. I love that. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. So rather than looking backwards and, or even looking for the angel or going back to the cell, Peter went forward and went to where the church was gathered. And it's interesting, sometimes God sets us free from something and all we do is kind of look back at it and we don't really run to where the church is and where the family is and we, we, we get more comfortable and familiar with the prison we were in, but freedom is always better than confinement, so keep moving forward. Just keep moving forward. You might feel like you're, you're stuck. You're, you keep getting drawn back to the same stuff. Let me encourage you. I love this phrase, celebrate repentance. When you fail, keep repenting and then keep moving forward. It's his kindness that draws us to repentance. Repentance is just bringing our mind back to his truth, bringing our feet back to his way. And when you fail and when you mess up, when I don't function with the spirit of gentleness, I don't get angry or upset about that for a week because then it's like the enemy wins twice. I celebrate repentance. like, oh man, I really blew that. Let me be gentle now. Let me walk in gentleness now. Just keep moving forward. It seems crazy that people would go back to their prisons, but we as humans do it all the time. Who would go back to that abusive relationship? People do it. Who would go back to the bar and drink again when they were destroyed by alcoholism? People do it. Who would think that person would ever have another affair or pick up the drugs again? In reality, if you name the prison, people end up going back to it. All of these things, it's called the sinful nature. It's called we're comfortable in our confinement, but freedom is better. So keep moving forward. And I love that he runs to where the church is, into the family, strength with the family of God. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was overjoyed. She ran back without opening it. So she left Peter at the door and she exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting it was so, they said, it must be an angel. I, love, I mean, the people of God are desperately praying for one thing, for Peter, Peter to be freed from prison. And when Peter shows up at the door, Rhoda says, hey, Peter's here. And they're like, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. There's no way God would do that. It's so funny. We argue with people about answering our own prayers. What a gift. This gives us, the fact that this happened in the early church right after the day of Pentecost gives us hope right? The crazy stuff that we do, the things that we point fingers about, gosh, God is above and bigger than all of it, so we have hope. The early church, sometimes people are like, I want to get, pastors will always say, let's get back to the early church. I'm like, the early church was messed up too. Like, it's all just humanity. There's problems. So interesting. Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. And Peter mentioned with his, he motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and then he left for another place. 
Scripture doesn't say where he went, but in the age before email and phone calls and texting, I really think he probably went to another house church to share again the story of God's miraculous power, which leads to our, our closing thought, share your story. Share the story of what God has done in your life. If he has been faithful in your life, do you know what we need you to do? Share that story. If God has refreshed you in the middle of the desert, do you know what I need you to do? Share that story. Because when you share it, I'm reminded, oh, God refreshes in the desert. And when you share it with your neighbor that doesn't know Jesus and might be filled with hopelessness right now, might be struggling at the end of their rope right now, and you say hi every morning and you, you avoid the sharing of the story, sometimes if you get it, hope in that person's heart. Hope in the, We are called to be story sharers about all of this. If he's lifted you up out of guilt and shame and exhaustion, share your story. Who are you sharing with? Sometimes, sometimes I think followers of Jesus get stale and feel bored in their life because they're no longer doing the work. They're not sharing the story. They're not even involved in what God is trying to do in the world. Sometimes it's because of fear. Sometimes you think you don't have a story. Let me just encourage you. Whatever God has done in your life, share it with whoever God puts in your path. Simple as that. That's the equation. Share that story. There's a purpose for why you are where you are. I think sometimes we cry out to God, give me a purpose, God, guide my steps. And God's like, I put you right there. Share your story. Be a part of what he's doing. Be a part of the work of the kingdom of God. And that's what Peter was modeling. Can I have Andy and Gio come back up? The story closes in a pretty intense way. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. All 16 guards killed. Herod could not acknowledge that God had just done a miracle, and of course he wanted to explain it away, and the guards get blamed and executed. And I think that happens in our culture a lot. God does miracles in our lives, and the world, our culture, and people in our lives want to explain it away, but we must remember God is a healing God. God actually delivers people. God actually breaks chains of bondage in your life. He's done it in my life over and over again. Someone shared with me this morning really what I think is a prophetic word for us right now, meaning something that I think God wants to say to you, maybe a few specific people in the room. They had no idea what I was preaching on and felt like the Lord wanted to say to them that I see you. I will set you free. I will show up in your life in ways that you are unaware of and you will come out of a dark place and I have brought a spirit of freedom to your life. And when he he shared that with me, I felt the same way that I feel in those meetings when God just graciously shows up. And I just believe that as we sing this song, as we respond, as we pour out our hearts to him, as we pray, as we ask for help, as we choose to trust his timing, he will set you free. He will break things in your life that seem unbreakable, that are binding you. The angel shows up, the chains fall off. So let's stand together, church. Lord, we long for your freedom. If it's you today and my hands are raised with you, let's raise our hands up. We long for your freedom. We need more of this freedom. We we acknowledge today that we believe you are actually God. You are God. 
Our, we are not God. What we think about our situation is not God. How we have been hurt is not God. How we feel bound up is not God. The sickness in our body is not God. The challenges in our mind and in our emotions are not God. Nothing in our circumstance is God. You are God and you are a God of freedom. We believe that, God, and we just choose to acknowledge it and confess it, and we say yes to your word spoken to us today. I say yes to your word spoken. And God, we declare you are good, you are faithful, you are true. And if it's not good yet, it's because it's not over. You will lead us to a destination, new heavens, new earth. It could be the other side of eternity, but Lord, we have a guaranteed destination, so we need not fear you've called us to be free. In closing, I was thinking about the sloppy wet kiss thing that Andy shared. I, I couldn't help but have the image of like when, when the angel showed up suddenly in Peter's cell and smacked him <laughs> and the chains fell off. That's, that's like the sloppy wet kiss right there. Like when God suddenly shows up in the situation, I like what Pastor Duncan calls it, the, our pastor emeritus here, a love letter from God. It's the sloppy wet kiss right in the middle of the situation. You didn't even know it coming and you, you get reminded, oh, God's called me to freedom. Oh, wait a second, God is powerful. Oh, wait a second, God is still with me. Isn't that awesome? So I'm praying for lots of sloppy wet kisses out there. Can I say that in closing? Our benediction, let's just have lots of sloppy wet kisses as we go. Not with each other, it's COVID season. <laughs> the, the heavenly ones. Let me pray this benediction and we'll be dismissed. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. So go in this power to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Love you guys. Have a great afternoon.